Do it, everybody. Welcome to June 2023. Good morning, everybody. It is June 1st. It is Thursday. It is Meme of the Weekday. Welcome to episode 378 of Simply Cyber's Daily Cyber Threat Briefing Podcast. I'm your host, Dr. Gerald Dozier. And over the next 45 minutes, me, you, Carrie, Alex Goodwin, Matthew Pelkey, Alicia Jerry, the entire LinkedIn community, the entire YouTube community, the entire Simply Cyber Squad community, all of us are going to be shredding the top cybersecurity news stories of the day. And I'll be giving my expert opinion and analysis on each of those stories on what it means to you as a practitioner. Or if you're looking to break into the industry, there's going to be massive value for you here. Believe me, if you're new here, say what's up. Say you're new here. Let us know. And if you're a regular here, you know dang well what what's about to happen up in this space. Guys. Before we get into it, before I drop all this knowledge bombs up on you, I want to say shout out and thanks to the stream sponsors. June only has two sponsors. XM Cyber, thank you for your support. We enjoyed having you. But Barricade Cyber Solutions, an evergreen sponsor, once I want to tell you about them. Eric Taylor, the whole gang, Barricade Cyber Solutions is dedicated to helping businesses from cyber attacks and recovery from the damage done. Cyber attacks can cause massive issues for businesses and send dedicated, hardworking business owners into turmoil. But Barricade Cyber Solutions and the Brain Trust over there, they know exactly how to mitigate the damage done by cyber incidents. Tap into that extensive experience and make the make the boo-boos go away. Make the pain stop. Check them out at BarricadeCyber.com. Links in the description below. This is Eric's website right here. Scroll to the bottom. This is his calendar. This is where you get. Although I do want to uh, drop one little teaser for y'all. Don't try to book Eric Taylor June 26th through June 30th from 8 a.m. to 9 a.m. Because he will be busy doing the Daily Cyber Threat Brief Podcast hosting duties. That's right, people. Eric's agreed to cover the last month of June while I do a family uh, excursion. Very excited to get some R&R and very happy to have Eric Taylor step into the to the A-hole chair, right? So this is the A-hole. Over there's the B-hole if I have a guest host or a guest or something, right? So A-hole, <laughs> B-hole. So Eric's going to step into the A-hole chair. Also want to say shout out and love to Panopsi Security, Brandon Poole's company, South Carolina's own Brandon Poole, guys. If you're looking for quantified risk assessments basically if you have an information security program and your strategy for you know 2023 2024 is to like close your eyes and point at a control or just you're implementing cis 18 because that's something you can do and it's basic and you implement it Panopsi security is actually going to give you a quantified risk assessment which will inform you statistically on what controls are going to give you the biggest cyber risk reduction from a percentage perspective from experiencing specific threats. So follow me here. Multi-factor authentication. Yeah, everybody should put it in. It makes sense, right? Well, let me tell you, if if we look at the actual threat landscape and I say, hey, listen, you've got a 75 to 85% chance of getting ransomware this year, like it's going to happen. Then you could say, well, what what, what about multi-factor authentication? You say, yeah, you put that in, you drop it down 50 points. You have a 25% chance of getting ransomware. Doesn't that sound good? Heck yeah. Where do I sign the check, right? So quantified risk assessment can help your program um, go in the direction you need it to. 
All right. Now, if you are live with us in chat, remember each episode of the Daily Cyber Threat Brief is worth half a CPE. That means if you have uh, cybersecurity certs that you need to maintain, you need to do CPEs, cyber threat briefing every single day, half a CPE. Doesn't sound like much, but it, it stacks, okay? Two and a half a week, 10 a month, whatever, 40 a quarter, 120 a year. My God. Just say what's up in chat. Hashtag team live if you're live with us. Uh, 152 of you, I know we usually get, we've been averaging around 270, so uh, much love and appreciation to the Simply Cyber community, Team Live. Team Replay, it's hard to get a, a beat on you guys from a numbers perspective, but if we look at the analytics, you guys come in much stronger, much stronger than Team Live. All due respect, Team Live, but there's about 1,500 Team Replay people on the regular. So what's up, Team Replay? That's why Team Replay are people too, man. They got the shirts. All right. Also, if you're getting here late and catching up or you have to leave early, let us know with Team Hybrid. Represent. You'll get a little bit of live, a little bit of replay, but you'll get all the top news of the day. And then my favorite hashtag, Passive Observer. I want to say shout out to the individuals who have reached out to me on LinkedIn and uh, DM'd me that they're Passive Observers and that they really appreciate uh, what we're doing here on Simply Cyber's Threat Briefing to enable them to... Um, network. I, I, guys, for those who are like chatty Cathy's and easy to, to network and stuff like that, it's easy for us. But believe me, um, people are reaching out to me and telling me their stories and saying, listen, like it has unlocked my ability to feel more comfortable to network. And our community is so welcoming and so inclusive that I, you know, thank you. Thank you, Simply Cyber community. So it, it goes beyond just me, right? It's all of us doing this together. So hashtag passive observer if you want to take your first step into the light of professional networking. I want to remind everybody that I do not look at these stories in advance. So what you're seeing and what you're hearing, I'm see I'm seeing and hearing it for the first time with you as well. So you're getting my honest initial response, reaction, etc. I'm really excited. Let's settle in and get into the show. It is What's Your Meme Thursday. So look for the mid-roll. Every Thursday, Dan Reardon, a.k.a. the Haircut Fish in chat right now, makes a custom bespoke meme that I get to see before you, but I have no input on, nor do I uh, I make it a point to not um, uh, fee give any feedback, right? I don't say no, Dan, like we can't do that. Uh, he's got a banger as usual today. Um, so stay tuned for that. It's going to be a lot of fun. All right, everybody, sit back, relax, and let's let the cool sounds of the hot news wash over us in an awesome wave. I'll see y'all at the mid-roll. From the CISO series, it's Cybersecurity Headlines. It's Wednesday, June 1st, 2023. Toyota finds more cloud leaks. Earlier this year, Toyota disclosed that misconfigured servers resulted in exposing location data on over 2 million customers for the last decade. As a result, the company began an investigation into all of its cloud environments. It's now found two additional misconfigured services. One exposed customer information meant for dealers in Asia and Oceania regions from 2016 until May 2023. This included addresses, customer IDs, phone numbers, and VINs. A second instance leaked data since 2015. This appears more limited in scope related to in-vehicle navigation device IDs and map data updates. Toyota said it implemented improved systems to monitor for cloud misconfigurations going forward. Yeah, okay. So, okay, okay, okay. A couple things here, right? One, this is straight up Carl, okay? And no disrespect, 
And if you're new here and you don't know what Carl is, you see the emotes on YouTube and on screen, that bald-headed guy? That is Carl from Aqua Teen Hunger Force, and he is our avatar for representing end users that make mistakes. All right, so just a little background. And this sounder, <laughs> that's Carl. All right, so what happened here? This is something that cybersecurity professionals need to be mindful of, although it is not like nation-state threat actors or even malicious, negligent uh, engineers. This is simply, this just happens, and it's a reality that you got to be mindful of. There were misconfigured servers that were publicly facing and allowing information to be leaked. What does that mean? It, it's exactly what it sounds like, right? When you configure something to be internet facing, you're, and guys, I say this all the time, the internet is incredibly hostile. I know we're out there watching Netflix and like, ooh, like sharing pictures of our babies and stuff, but the internet is wicked hostile, all right? So when you have something that is facing the internet and it's not configured correctly, it, you know, someone's gonna find it. Now, this right here um, is interesting in that it went 10 years without discovery. Name, address, phone number, VIN number. So not super sensitive information, although a, uh, a motivated threat actor could do a very targeted social engineering campaign. But I would say in the pantheon or like in the, in the, in the range of how bad is this data to get out, I'm, I'm going to limit it to like not really bad. Okay, that is in context of other data getting leaked, health information, um, you know, uh, photos of inappropriate things. Like th that type of stuff is more sensitive. Intellectual property, the battery for Tesla's uh, technologies. Th these things are worse, okay? This is not great, but this isn't the worst, okay? Next thing I want to point out, and this one, like two things. One, 10 years is kind of bananas. Um, 10 years is kind of bananas, right? Like you would think in 10 years, a company like Toyota would have, well, first of all, <laughs> first of all, you would think that the servers would have aged out after 10 years at some point, right? But, you know, legacy systems are going to stay online, right? Second of all, yeah, BSEC saying he thinks half of all servers are misconfigured facing the internet. That's probably accurate. It's like what level of misconfigured? Misconfigured doesn't mean exploited or causing problems. It just means misconfigured. Like you have to take the next step. That's just a weakness. The weakness has to be exploited. Okay, here's the thing. 10, 10 um, years. So how was it not caught during any annual internal auditing, any triannual external auditing? Um like any, 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 any security program should have caught this. Now, one other thing I want to mention, uh, and this one is a very rare kind of lesson learned, right? So every, uh, every once in a while on the show, I drop knowledge that you wouldn't get from a textbook. You wouldn't get from a classroom. Like you'd only get it from some grizzled, you know, senior practitioner who's got gray in their hair, right? This is one of those bombs. Okay. Toyota is a massive company, right? So if you work InfoSec at Toyota, you may actually be like in InfoSec, but you're on Toyota America or you're on Toyota electronic ve or electric vehicles or you're on Toyota like, you know, Toyota's got like a um, construction equipment line of product. You know what I mean? So to just say, oh, it's Toyota, like how could they be this, you know, reckless? you got to remember, like, they're compartmentalized all over the place. And this can lead to, you know, diffusion of responsibility, not finger pointing, but like, oh, 
like this one right here was a server that had Asia and Oceania individuals data. Okay. So right there, I'm thinking, all right, so, you know, you could have the best practitioners in the, in the, in the industry working in Toyota America. And they're like, that's not our bag, baby. You know what I mean? Like, not, and not to say that they'd be like, oh, like, that's not our fault. Like, we know it's, we know it's exposed to the internet, but we're not going to do anything about it. Like, what I mean is their scope of work, what they're looking at day in and day out, what they're responsible for hardening is in America. This one is over here. So I suspect, I suspect what happened was there was some diffusion of responsibility. A reality, a realistic situation is that someone set it up temporarily, didn't configure it correctly, got you know, left the company or got reassigned to a different project, never finished it, handed it off to someone, right? The R&D people stood it up. It was looking good. They handed it to the production people and said, make sure you configure it. And the production people were like, sure, no problem. I don't know how to do that. Let's just keep moving on, right? And then it just it just kind of gets swept under the rug, swept under the rug. Also, when you do, I, and I know I'm belaboring this one, but stay with me. When you do audits, I kind of crapped on them earlier for like, how did a security audit not catch this? When you do audits, if you have like a thousand servers in scope of your range, you do not audit all thousand servers. What you do is a population sampling, okay? I don't think I covered this in the GRC course, but what you do is a population sampling where you select randomly you know, say like 10% or, you know, 15, say 15 servers randomly. And then you audit those for configuration, um, patching, OS, all these other things. And you say that that sample represents the larger population in general. So it's possible these two servers got overlooked in a population sampling technique as well. All right. Who knew that misconfigured servers could be so fun, right, Carl? Gigabyte. Whoops, hold on, I hit the wrong button. I'm all over the place today. Gigabyte firmware update system insecure. Researchers at the security firm Eclipsium published findings that 271 motherboards from the computer OEM Gigabyte included a Eufy firmware update utility that runs on boot up. This system can go online and download updates without any user notification or authorization. However, the researchers say this update system doesn't properly authenticate code, often transmitting over an unencrypted HTTP connection, letting it be easily spoofed by a malicious actor. It also looks for updates available from network-attached storage, which could easily be intercepted by an attacker on the same network. Eclipsium said it notified Gigabyte, and the company plans to fix the issues. All right, hold on. Twitter Sorry, I was doing some production stuff. Um... All right, let me know if the audio is good. I usually run it at 80%. I've just bumped it up to 90%. Again, <laughs> I took my studio down last weekend and now reassembling it, the audio is messed up. I had to do manual sound effects on Monday. I discovered why. I was routing my stream deck through my monitor. <laughs> like I was pushing my audio into my monitor, which is the dumbest thing possible. All right, so um, looking at this story, I'm sorry I missed it. Um, it does say Andy Greenberg. Um, is does Andy Greenberg, the author, work as a reporter for Wired magazine? Is this is this the same Andy? Because if this is the same Andy, I'm I'm subbing. I'm subbing to this guy. Holy macro, guys! If you don't know, um, Jesus, hold on, really quick, because this is important. Um, Tracers in the dark. Okay. This book right here, Tracers in the Dark by Andy Greenberg. Um, it's all about like how law enforcement. 
It's all about how law enforcement uses blockchain to track criminals and cryptocurrency. Uh, I, I've only got samples of this. I haven't read it myself, but I know it's fantastic. Uh, and Andy actually wrote um, Sandworm, which kind of, like, I'm sure he does good work, but it, it put him on the map, right? Like, people people talk about Sandworm. Okay, here's, um, oh, he did Countdown to Zero Day, too? Holy crap. Um, okay, so, yeah, this is San Andy Sandberg, 2019. Um, check the, check these two books out. If you're looking for a good, <laughs> if you're looking good for a good beach read this summer, cause, cause I, all I do is like eat, drink, sleep, cybersecurity. So like for me, this is a great beach read. Um, I actually have this, um, Josh Mason sent me a copy signed. Thanks Josh. Um, so I'm going to be reading that this summer when I finish, um, my, um, fool me once fraud book. But anyways, let me know in chat if that's the same Andy Greenberg, because if it is, I love it. Okay, now millions of PC motherboards were sold with a firmware backdoor. I did not read this. Yeah, stalker mode. Okay, so I did not listen to the story, so you're getting a very raw uh, hot take on this one. But check this out. If this is true, this is not good, okay? There was a major story a couple years ago from Supermicro on... Uh, uh, Bloomberg did a report on Supermicro having a hardware backdoor in their products. Okay, Supermicro, Bloomberg, uh, backdoor. Okay, the, like the, the yeah, this right here. They never refuted. They never refuted the story. This is 2018, guys. They never refuted the story, and a lot of people in our industry. If you guys remember this, thanks, Haircut Fish. If you guys remember. Like our industry, if you were around in 2018 in the industry, our industry like heavily responded to this article. Like experts came out. There was multiple discussions, multiple, you know, pressers uh, from people in our industry, people I trust who came out and said, this was not possible. This is ridiculous. This is a smear job. Um, I personally in <laughs> invested in Supermicro and then sold uh, because they dipped. And then, you know, anyways, um, so this is very similar to that story. You've got to remember, guys, that modern motherboards, right? There's the uh, BIOS, right? The basic input-output system that, um, that we have on the thing that boots in the master boot record to boot the operating system up, right? Like when you turn your computer on and Windows pops up or you turn your computer on and Mac pops up, there's something that happens before that to tell you know, the computer where your operating system is sitting. That You know that black screen with like, text flying by and then you get the splash page for windows that text flying by that's bios right that's that's the firmware to kick on the the hardware to reach in and, and boot up the os right so in modern systems there's this thing called uefi or ufi that's kind of like a a small operating system on board the machine and it handles like secure uh like if you um encrypt your hard drive with like BitLocker, that's being done down there. That's that's how it can decrypt your uh, your your hard drive to boot into your operating system, right? You couldn't you couldn't boot a Windows operating system if it was encrypted. Hello ransomware. So they're saying because this additional technology is on these devices that is very powerful, right? You can do you can turn things on remotely, you can patch them. Stay tuned next week for the Intel V Pro platform 
Simply Cyber Live talk because we're going to get all up into their management engine, which is what we're talking about here for this onboard in between BIOS and operating system. It's, there's a lot going on there, and there's a lot of opportunity for threat actors to bake in malware, rootkits, all up in that face. So if they're saying millions of are sold with a firmware backdoor, this is not good. Now, with firmware, unless it's burned into ROM, read-only memory, and I know for, for you A-plus certification holders, I, I think I'm starting to get into the, the terms that you guys uh, had to study, but ROM is read-only memory. You cannot write over it, right? RAM you, is volatile. You can write over it. With um, <clears throat> ROM, you can't, right? So if the firmware is baked in with ROM, then you kind of hose and you got to get a new motherboard. And if it's not, you would get a firmware update. Um, these firmware um, malware are actually very difficult to discover because they're not happening inside the operating system, which is where a lot of our security technologies are looking, right? When you get an EDR solution, it's looking at Windows processes, Windows system calls, Windows, 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 right? Firmware uh, in the UEFI and on the BIOS and motherboard and stuff, that's not going through your OS. Now, you would be able to catch it if there were network connections, right? Because the network's going to see what the network's going to see. You can't, and all malware uh, has to uh, reach reach home to either uh, help with data exfiltration or to um, get new commands. And you would know what I'm talking about if you read this month's episode of Prompt Magazine. And I would just recommend, remind me of jawjacking if you want on how to get this. This magazine, this episode, or this issue, it's free, and it's wicked awesome, and it's all about threat hunting. Thanks, Black Hills InfoSec. I'm repping their t-shirt right now, too. And community notes to images. The microblogging service now allows commenters in its crowdsourced moderation system to notate images specifically, not just tweets with images in them. Commentators can also allow their submission to apply to an image wherever it shows up on Twitter. So notes appear for all prior and future uploads. This comes in response to several AI-generated images that spread quickly on the service, including one allegedly showing an attack on the Pentagon. Twitter said it also plans to bring the feature to videos and tweets with multiple media attachments. All right. The dangers... Uh, I got to turn the audio down a little bit because it's like buzzing in my ear. It's buzzing, buddy. <laughs> the boys are buzzing. All right, so check it out. Uh, Elon and his... <laughs> All right, hold on. We do have an Elon emote, so I, I guess I should drop that. Elon emote and dumpster fires. Doink, doink, doink. Um, oh, thanks for that. I'll, uh, I'll look at that QR code in a second. So Twitter is launching community notes. So we, this is a good idea in practice, okay? Here's the deal. AI images generated uh, of a Pentagon strike surfaced on Twitter the other day, and Russian bots picked it up and we're, we're like amplifying it and it, it, it freaked people out, right? So we have an opportunity, Twitter again, I guess Elon has like, you know, pulled the nose up on the Twitter crashing airplane, but it's still, you know, flying at like 200 feet. Um, <clears throat> is introducing community notes, which allows people to crowdsource. Now, because I'm a cyber practitioner, immediately, immediately my mind goes to, well, how's this fix anything? Like if, if let's just say Russia, if Russia has a hundred thousand bot accounts, that that's a hundred thousand accounts that they can upvote um, malicious uh, content, right, or, or misinformation. Oh, hey, Professor Blackoffs with a super chat. Thanks so much. What? Did we just become best friends? Yep. Thank you so much, and good morning to you. And uh, I'll I'll pour a cup of coffee and tip it to you during the mid roll. Anyways, we'll see how this is going. 
Um, I think that this, it's for images only. So excuse me, so this is a direct response. The, the one thing I will say, the one thing I will say that I do like about this, there is some positivity, is that one of the challenges of big, big, big tech companies is their ability to be agile, right? Usually they have like three month, six month, 12 month, 24 month plans they're working towards, right? And, and they don't, they don't, they can't be agile because they're just large, right? A, a cruise ship can't turn around, but like a little, you know, 25 foot center console thing can whip around in a hot minute. Okay. This AI image crap uh, happened last week, I believe. And Twitter has launched a new function to directly address that threat. So, you know what? Kudos to Twitter for being agile, for responding to an emergent threat. And, you know, it, this may not be the best solution, but it is a solution. Twitter didn't just stick their head in the sword, in the sword, didn't stick their head in the sand and say, ah, well, it's it's the um, it's it's the users community. Like we're just a platform. Like they're trying to do something about it, and I appreciate that. Thank you. Now, <laughs> I don't know why, but I do want to hit the sounder. Catch me outside. How about that? Yeah. Of Salesforce ghost sites, researchers at Verona sounded the alarm on these so-called ghost sites. These can occur when an organization sets up a Salesforce community service where customers, vendors, and other partners can collaborate with an organizer's Salesforce environment. If an organization migrates away from Salesforce, often these communities remain online. This can occur when organizations point DNS records to a short convenient URL and then migrate that to a new service. Since Salesforce also supports autonomous data flows into communities, these can continue to receive fresh data, potentially exposed to anyone with the internal domain. Veronis warns that organizations should delete these sites entirely, not simply end URL redirects. And now what we're- All right. There we go. All right, here's the deal. Oh, you're too big, Haley Osmond. Okay, here's the deal. I see ghost sites, all right? Check it out. Salesforce is this incredibly powerful um, CRM, customer relationship management tool, right? If you've ever, you know, registered for a webinar or you've like, you know, checked out, like got, oh my God, gotten scanned at Black Hat. <laughs> we'll, we'll talk about how to, how to con like a boss later today. Remind me about that. There, there are tricks that I would recommend on how you even register to go to some of these conferences. But anyway, Salesforce, lots of automation, lots of integration. Once you get into what they call a sales funnel, there's a nurturing thing where like you get an email, there's some value. And then, Hey, let's tell you about some of these other deals. Like here's some more value. Let's tell you about some more of these deals. And it's not, it's not scummy. It's not cringy. It's just, it's called the customer journey, right? You, you're there like a product may be good for you or it may not be good for you, but it's the company's responsibility to kind of um, show value to you and, and kind of demonstrate why the product may solve some of your problems. The problem is a lot of these businesses stand up these things and then they do it for three months and then they look at the metrics, right? Some bean counter in finance is looking at the metrics and they're like, this product isn't making the return on investment. We spent uh, $200,000 on this product. It's only made $8,000 to date. Let's abandon the project and move on to something else. Let's cut our losses, okay? That's totally fine and that's business. The problem is, and this right here, oh my God, I can even, I can feel it. I'm going to do everything I can to keep cool. All right. 
oh my god I, like i just felt like rage swell up inside me like down here and it was like bu like bubbling oh here's the thing okay usa okay namaste listen this right here is a like a textbook case study of improper system development life cycle you set this thing up okay you okay you need to decommission systems period end of story full stop here's what happens hey we've got an idea all right let's plan it done all right, let's implement it. Done. Everybody's rocking and rolling. Done. Now the sales team is all up in all up in this business, or it doesn't even have to be them. It could be finance. It could be accounting. It could be sales. It could be engineering. It could be executives. I don't care. It doesn't matter. Okay. They set it up, and then the people who set it up, the IT people, the sales force consultants, right? They were probably hired to implement it and then move on to another contract, right? You're not going to have Salesforce reps just kind of sitting around, shaking their arms like Conor McGregor, waiting for work, right? No, you hire them to set it up and then you don't fire them, but the contract ends. Okay, they're on to something else. The IT people are on to something else. And occasionally you get a message like, hey, can you tweak this or can you set it to go from like, two days to five days because you know whatever we're seeing drop off or customer churn or whatever okay 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 all right then they have the meeting hey guys we're, we're making diddly squat on this initiative let's abandon it all right everybody let's go right and everybody marches into the next boardroom and they're like hey i got a great idea let's get the salesforce guys up in here and nobody nobody says, hey, maybe we should invest time, money, and resources into decommissioning that, that program, that initiative. And this happens with user data all the time as well, uh, user accounts. Listen, just because no one's complaining about it, just because it, it's, not, it's not keeping you from doing any of the business stuff does not mean that you have a responsibility to properly decommission it. But unfortunately, the business side of the house looks at it and says, hold on. Here's, and, and by the way, Kimberly, cash, it boils down to straight cash, homie, right? Cash rules everything around me. If I have, if I, if I, if I have budget, right? I have $100,000, right? And this project sucks and I need to abandon it. What do you think I'm going to spend my hundred grand on decommissioning this site correctly or hiring the Salesforce consultants back in and spinning up the new initiative? One of those two things is going to make money. One of those two things is guaranteed to make zero dollars. And there's only a statistical percentage of a chance that you will get, you know, sensitive data exposure, leakage, all these other things. If you even know about it, do you see what I'm saying? What you need to do, this is the solution, what you need to do, and it's so difficult for the business to get their head around this, what you need to do is bake in decommissioning into the project plan and fund it at that time. You need to document what the heck is going on in this system so you can unwind it at the end. No one does this, or it very, 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 very seldomly do they do it. And only when there is a problem, does somebody get their butt kicked and they say, how could this have happened? And you know what they do? They just blame someone who doesn't work there anymore. Oh, that was Carl. Carl set that up. Oh, remember Carl? Carl. Oh, we'll get it fixed, boss. Oh, Carl, right? 
it's it's like the old adage of like the new CEO comes in or the new CISO comes in and the outgoing CISO hands him two letters and says, when you get in trouble, open the first letter. And if you get in trouble again, open the second letter. And the CISO has this massive Salesforce ghost site date of exposure. And he opens the first letter and it says, blame it on me. So the CISO says, okay, it was the outgoing CISO. Remember that, that lady that was here? She did it. Okay, no problem. Month later, misconfigured Toyota data servers. Ugh, opens the second letter. Second letter says, write two letters. Because basically you're about to get fired. You see what I'm saying? It just system development life cycle. It's boring, but guess what? The boring stuff is important. Come on, man. Catch me outside. How about that? Yeah, exactly. From our sponsor, Barricade Cyber Solutions. Have you fallen victim to a ransomware attack? Don't worry. Barricade Cyber Solutions has helped thousands of customers in situations just like yours. Their proprietary ransomware recovery services are designed to quickly get your business back on track. Their team of experts will identify the source of the attack and provide a comprehensive solution to prevent it from happening again. You can count on them for the security of your data and systems. Visit BarricadeCyber.com. All right. Hey, okay. it is Thursday. Uh, haircut fish. Um, I'm going to just do it really quickly here if he hasn't left already. Normally, we do the um, the thank yous in the Simply Cyber community, but every Thursday is What's Your Memes Thursday. I'm going to show it right now in case haircut fish is still here. Every Thursday, we have a custom meme. APT Flaming Donkey is an APT that we created as a community. And apparently, Haircut Fish has discovered one of the ringleaders behind the Flaming Donkey APT. So thanks so much uh, for uncovering this, Haircut Fish. There I am, hacker hoodie guy. Uh, what's your meme Thursday? Thank you so much for your continued support. Dan Reardon, uh, su supporting the community every Thursday with your meme. Love it. All right, guys. So if you're if you're here, this is the mid-roll. A couple things. One, Professor Black Ops, cheers to you. Thanks for the super chat. I want to thank the uh, show sponsors, Barricade Cyber Panopsi. Um, I, I just don't. I haven't updated the card yet to get XM Cyber off there, but whatever. Good, good company. Um, if you're getting educational value, if you're getting entertainment value, if you would like to have other people who are interested in cybersecurity discover Simply Cyber, hit the like button right now. It goes a long way to basically tuning the YouTube algorithm to tell other people who are looking for cybersecurity content on YouTube to come find our stream. 282 of you beautiful people on here right now, so we are straight crushing it. I love it. Um, I want to remind everybody that the Simply Cyber Community Challenge is continuing to go on. Soulshine currently has the baton, and uh, Greg Bergman, and I would love it if Soulshine would tag somebody in chat. What is the Simply Cyber Community Challenge? This is a grassroots initiative to enable any one of you in our community to be able to build your professional network on LinkedIn, which is incredibly important, but build it with great, rich, valuable connections inside the cybersecurity community. Find, excuse me, search for the hashtag Simply Cyber Community Challenge on LinkedIn. Connect, <clears throat> excuse me, read the people's stories, comment on their stories, connect with those individuals, both the original posters 
and the people in comments. I myself am discovering new people and building my professional network, and it's absolutely inspiring. It's not just a numbers game. Like I'm making meaningful connections. I'm chatting with people. It's fun, and it's it's rich and rewarding because then guess what happens when you post something uh, on LinkedIn. <clears throat> It's, it's people in our community that are seeing it and commenting and engaging, which amplifies you, which helps you grow your network. And networking is so, so valuable. Believe me, it's very difficult to say like, oh, one connection in, one piece of value out. It's not like that. Think of it as like a plant that you, or seed. You plant, you water, you nurture, you do things. And eventually at some point it blooms right into a plant, a, a beautiful plant. But you can't say like, oh, in exactly six days and four hours, it's going to be a plant. Like, it's just not that way. That's what networking is. Giddy up on that. I do want to share one thing with you. I was going to do this at the mid-roll, I mean, at the uh, jaw jacking, but this is worth doing now. If you are interested in signing up, come on, man. Where's the uh, QR code here? There it is. If you're interested in signing up, this is not a trick. This is not a Rick roll. If you're interested in signing up for the uh, Black Hills Information Security uh, magazine. It comes out about once a month. This particular issue is excellent. Um, there's also a CTF in it, which dominated me. I did complete it, and I got the the exclusive CTF pin that you can that uh, you you win by completing the challenge. Um, this is the QR code. Scan it with your phone if you're if you're on mobile. I don't know what option you have, but this is it right here. Excellent resource, okay? All right, let's keep going. Slack. Over 90 groups, including Mozilla and the nonprofit Fight for the Future, organized a protest at Slack's offices, calling on the app to use end-to-end -end encryption. Organizers say Slack ignored calls for meaningful encryption on the platform, justifying the move by saying customers did not actually want it. In response, Slack said it takes privacy and confidentiality of our customers' data very seriously. Slack does encrypt data at rest and in transit, as well as offering enterprise key management to paying customers. Protest organizers note that end-to-end -end encryption would make messages unreadable to Slack itself, meaning it could not turn over conversations with third parties like law enforcement. Yeah. L listen, <clears throat> there's clearly, like Slack, personally, I don't know why. I do not like Slack personally, but I do have to use it for certain uh, for certain projects and, and groups, since I have like four full-time jobs, <laughs> some of them use Slack. Um, I don't like Slack, but if Slack wants to continue operating and being, you know, one of these corporate solutions, people are asking for encryption. Privacy is a very hot topic right now and, and very in demand. Now I could see Slack getting pressure from big tech and, you know, straight cash, cash. And who knows, Slack might even be data mining the content inside their Slack servers, right? If you have a free Slack server, <laughs> it's possible part of your EULA agreement says that they'll data mine your stuff. If your data is encrypted, Slack cannot do that. So Slack likely has a financial motivation not to put it in. And big tech might be paying them to say, hey, listen, we don't want you to do that. Slow, slow your roll. But consumers want to do it. And now uh, individuals are planning protests and stuff. So we saw a signal does it and then and then encryption uh, telegram. I think uh, Apple did something recently with iMessage around end to end encryption. The, the TLDR is people want it. Law enforcement doesn't want it. Right. Because criminals can use it for nefarious purposes. That's the deal. Dark Pink continues attacking government targets. 
This finding comes from a new report from Group IB, which first exposed the group back in January. The group shows signs of starting operations in mid-2021, but continues to escalate attacks against government, military, and educational organizations. Recently, victims span across Indonesia, Brunei, Vietnam, Belgium, and Thailand. In addition to continued activity, Group IB notes the group also revamped its attack chain, Ooh. utilizing different persistence vectors along with new exploitation tooling. Darkpink still largely relies on ISO files sent with spear phishing emails. However, it now splits its backdoor functionality into two parts, with functions for device control and data theft operating separately. Wow, okay, hold on now. We got double infographics and they're, they're dark mode. They're well laid out. I mean, this is just a timeline, so like, let's not get too over our ski tips here, but this one, now now we're talking, okay? All right, so check it out. Um, two things. Uh, one, this is called dark pink, and uh, there's a couple things here. One, I've never heard of dark pink before. Let me know in chat if you've heard of dark pink. I've never heard of dark pink. But what I would say is, for me personally, with a threat actor I've never heard of, I would be like, okay, MITRE ATT&CK. If you're not familiar with MITRE ATT&CK, you absolutely should be. I'll drop a link in chat, right? MITRE ATT&CK is kind of like ground zero for this type of stuff. So I would go to MITRE ATT&CK, go to groups, search on dark pink, and and dark pink is not here, okay? So dark pink is not in MITRE ATT&CK, but, but for me personally, um, th this is what I would do to go learn more. So even MITRE ATT&CK doesn't know about them, right? Interesting. Second, second thing, they've been operating since 2023, which is this year. So they're relatively new, but they're, they're getting nation state level support. An another interesting thing, they're attacking Vietnam, Cambodia, Indonesia, Malaysia. So this is a very uh, Asia, Oceania focused uh, attack group and they're attacking mostly governments. Okay, hold on one second. Okay, I'm like mid sneeze here. All right. Um, so, you know, I'm not saying it's China. I'm not saying it's North Korea, but, uh, you know, chances are it probably is uh, just because of that focus. The weird outlier here is that Belgium was attacked. That might be a misattribution. You got to remember when they're doing these type of attributions on who an APT, in this case, Dark Pink, is attacking, they have to base it on... Um, like indicators of compromise and artifacts. It's not like very rare does an advanced persistent threat stand up and announce that they did it, right? Only ransomware really does that because they, they want the attribution. Espionage threat actors, nation state threat actors, they're trying to be stealthy and not be discovered. So this attribution has to do with that. So the Belgium one seems really unusual and odd. So it may be a misattribution. I don't know. Um, if you are working in any of these uh countries be mindful um they said they are attacking education and government um so to me you know there's a lot of cyber criminals out there as i mentioned at the beginning of the show the uh internet is incredibly hostile so this isn't necessarily something that you need to perk up and immediately pivot your uh your 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 tooling to understand what's going on but just be mindful there's another there's another player on the board right there's another there's another piece on the board um and just really quickly looking at their attack chain, if I if I may, for a hot minute, um, I assume that they're emailing an attachment, right? It doesn't say email, but it's clearly, uh, you know, assigned application. C okay, it looks like DLL side loading. 
Um, it runs PowerShell, so this is only going to work on Windows machines. Um, there's an info stealer, and then it, it's C2 uh, is through Telegram. Okay, so this is a DLL sideload attack using Telegram as its C2 infrastructure, which actually, I, I wanted to get more information. Like Telegram C2 is actually coming on quite strong. Actually, that's, that's a really good, um, for people who are in the industry, SOC analysts and such, you may want to learn more about how Telegram operates as a C2. Secondly, if you're interviewing for jobs, you it would be it would serve you well to learn how Telegram being used as a C2 is done, and then any chance you get, push it into a conversation. Traditionally, C2 infrastructures are some server on the internet that is like um, bad guy controlled, whether it's a compromised victim or it's bulletproof infrastructure in Eastern Europe or wherever. The uh, the the compromised host has a you know like a a payload on it that's reaching back out to uh, a threat actor controlled infrastructure, and that's kind of been the traditional C two setup. Well, now with Telegram, it hides in the noise and it's leveraging Telegram. So it's it's a it's an evolution of C two infrastructure and it's relatively new. So I would recommend people get smart on that because it would make you stand out um, in an interview like easily. All right, let's keep. NSO gets new ownership. Yeah. The Wall Street Journal sources say the lenders behind the Pegasus spyware purveyor forced NSO Group into a restructuring and change of ownership. This came after the company received several government sanctions over the years and has an ongoing lawsuit against Meta. The new owner is the Luxembourg-based holding company Dufresne Holdings, currently controlled by NSO co-founder Omri Lavi. An NSO spokesperson maintained that CEO Yaron Shohat remains in charge of operations and that the ownership change mostly involves shareholders. Yeah. All right. A couple things here. One, the name of the company that bought him is uh, Dufresne. Oh, Andy Dufresne. Can, can, can I get a amen on this one? Is it possible to be channel surfing and accidentally come upon Shawshank Redemption? And not have to watch the entire movie from that point on. Like I get stuck in a in a Shawshank hole every single time. Like I'm actually glad of streaming services because I I don't accidentally come upon Shawshank Redemption and then write off my next three hours of my life. Ooh, Shawshank, such a good movie. All right, so here's the deal: NSO Group, famously known for Pegasus, they are uh, basically digital arms dealer, uh, digital weapons dealers. Okay, NSO Group makes. They're lords of war for the cyber domain, okay? And they make bank because their clients, uh, like on paper, are governments who have authority to do these things. In reality, anyone with Great cash, homie. can buy these weapons, and there's a big gray market. Again, read Nicole Pelross. This is how they tell me the world ends book. You'll get all the nitty gritty on this one. But guess what? This is an incredibly lucrative company that got a lot of bad publicity recently because Pegasus shows up on, you know, like activists' phones and uh, politicians who are competing against, um, you know, the ruling party, etc. Some investor with a ton of money bought NSO Group and, you know, it's an investment. That's all that matters, right? If you think of like these billionaires, NSO Group, I don't know what they bought them for. Do they actually have a number? here no they have no number but let's just say you're a billionaire or you represent a private equity firm that has billions of dollars under management and you buy nso group for 300 million dollars 
Who cares? Like it's it's like it's 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 a proven commodity. They're probably going to make a ton of money. They'll rebrand it, but at the end of the day, they're they're a cyber weapons arms dealer. They're incredibly good at what they do. They've got a lot of street cred, and they're they're probably a very reliable investment. So this is all about straight cash, homie. Here I variant broadens the botnet scope. Palo Alto Networks observed a variant of the pernicious botnet, seeing an uptick in use since at least April 10th. This utilizes two command injection vulnerabilities impacting devices from the vendors Tenda and Zyxel. Right now, it seems the intent of the exploits with the variant remains launching DDoS attacks with an emphasis for on-device persistence. However, the researchers caution that given the nature of the flaws, attackers could ultimately use them for remote code execution. Palo Alto also notes that this particular Mirai variant seems to date back to at least 2018. All right, don't sleep on Mirai. I, I have a... I have a meeting at 9 a.m., so I'm going to kind of rip through these. Don't sleep on Mirai, okay? Famously, Mirai is like one of the most notorious botnets of all time. Its spreading mechanism was pretty um, basic, but very effective. Essentially, as I've mentioned before, an IPv4 address can only be between 0000 and 255, 255, 255, 255. And what Mirai does is it randomly picks... It, 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 it selects a random number between 0 and 255 four times, and that's the IP address. And it tries to engage uh, that IP over Telnet, surprisingly. And then if it successfully makes a Telnet connection, it then tries like 60 or 70 different default admin uh, passwords that you know are publicly known. And if it successfully logs in, then it compromises that host and begins spreading from there. It spread wicked fast. It's a really great story. Uh, three New Jersey uh, Rutgers students did it in their dorm room in order to blow Minecraft servers off the internet so they could have their own Minecraft. The the what ended up happening was the FBI got onto them. They freaked out like you know, t like twenty year olds would, and they released Mirai into the wild uh, on GitHub, thinking, oh. Everybody will use it, and then we'll hide in the noise. Unfortunately, the FBI was already like outside their dorm room door, like to, ready to arrest them. So they they kind of knuckleheads released it, and of course, nation state threat actors picked it up. Cyber criminals picked it up, and that was like in two. I want to say that was like in two thousand, like twelve, two thousand eleven. I mean, it's it's been it's been like a decade. And it's still cropping up. It's been weaponized. It's been manipulated. It's been evolved. It's been, um, you know, all sorts of different stuff. But at the end of the day, I, uh, Internet of Thing devices, IoT devices that are not configured um, are, are not actually properly implement, uh, configured with not the default admin credentials are still susceptible. And we can see that even today, we're finding massive amounts of compromised assets. Now, the Zixel one, for example, as I crapped on them on Monday, they are getting exploited through a remote code um, uh, vulnerability. So it's not all about the default creds, right? That's what I'm saying. Like you can weaponize Mirai to also check for exploitation of some vulnerability, right? Like it's it's choose your own adventure, all right? Um, you know, think of a like, <laughs> think of a Mirai as like a kick car, right? You got your car and your basic functionality. Then you go choose like, you know, I want these rims and I want this uh, like body kit and I want this sticker package, right? That's what Mirai is today, okay? So at the end of the day, um, you should configure your internet facing devices to not be insecure, period, full stop. 
it's no secret that all aspects. All right. So that is that. Great show today, everybody. Let me do this really quickly. Do, do, do. All right. Hey, everybody, we had a great show today. If you were here just for the news, before you head out, I would love to remind you that later today at 4.30 p.m. Eastern Time, I am going to be hosting a panel discussion on Simply Cyber's YouTube channel called CyberCon Like a Boss. If you're going to a cyber conference this year, hey, Gary Sergiatis, it was his idea to do this talk. If you are going to a cyber conference this year, perhaps you're going to Vegas Summer Camp, which is Black Hat DEF CON. Perhaps you're going to Wild West Hackenfest, which is exploding as the hottest con out there. Um, but you don't know how to like maximize it. You're kind of making assumptions. If you would like pro tips, next level experiences, lessons learned, come join us at 4.30. Casey Gaska, Deb Wigley, Ben Sherrill, myself, will be dropping more knowledge bombs than you can handle. My advice to you, show up early, be ready to go, Bring a notebook with a pen and jot down notes. You're not going to want to miss this. Even as something as basic as what I was saying earlier, when you register for a conference, okay, I'll just give you this quick knowledge bomb, right? When you register for something like Black Hat, you may want to use a burner email. You may want to put your role as intern. If you put your role as CISO, guess what you're going to be getting immediately? Hammered with emails. Emails, 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 emails for days. And then your email is going to get sold, of course. And you're going to get emails. Like, you're basically exploding your own account, right? So, like, that's just, like, one tip. Um, all right. So, Jenny Housley is saying that Soulshine has not tagged somebody. If it's okay, I will tag somebody um, since Soulshine has uh, not done it. Um, let me know. Is, uh, is Jamie Fleck in chat? Let me see. Let me see if Jamie Fleck is in chat. I know Jamie had mentioned that earlier. Jamie Fleck does appear to be in chat. Let's see. You there? Ready for a baton? All right, let's ask Jamie if he wants it. I went to high school with Jamie. I wrestled with Jamie. All right, guys, if you were here just for the news, feel free to boogie out of here. All right, so Jamie Fleck is going to take the baton for the Simply Cyber Community Challenge. Jamie, I know you're relatively new to the community. It's great to have you. Go on LinkedIn, share your cyber story, hashtag Simply Cyber Community Challenge, my friend, and let us all get to know you. Nicole Perez, what did Nicole do? Uh, passed the ISC squared exam yesterday. Yeah, Nicole. Way to go, Nicole. Absolutely dope. All right. Hey, guys, if you are, um, I got a couple minutes. It at, um, at, in four minutes from now, I actually have a meeting with that college in the, up in Massachusetts to talk about the Cyber 101 course. And we're working through the accreditation process for the course. So it is recognized by higher ed as a transferable course, and it checks all the boxes and stuff like that. So that's, that's something I've been working on. I could just make the course and put it out there, but I want to add even more value <laughs> to the community. Um, so I'm going through this this process for y'all. Uh, so let me, um, I'm gonna have to go in a second, but if you were here just for the news, thanks so much. If you, if you wanna jaw jack for a hot minute, uh, we can absolutely uh, do that. Um, I already shared this. Um, this is from Black Hills Information Security. This shirt is from Black Hills Information Security. This woman right here, Deb Wigley, 
great person, wonderful, wonderful person. She is from Black Hills Information Security. Black Hills Information Security is all up in your business. So uh, definitely check them out. I love John Strand is the uh, kind of the, 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 the ringleader over Black Hills, and uh, he's a great person as well. All right. Any quick questions or any, any jaw jacking stuff, guys? I, 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 it's great. Tomorrow's Friday. We're going to have uh, Grayson's Joke of the Week. It's been busy. If you guys didn't catch, um, yesterday was episode one of eight of cybersecurity, um, how to market your cyber self. Uh, Jazzy Jazz is asking if I beat the Black Hills Information Security Challenge in the magazine. Yes, I did. I actually got, uh, I, 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 you can, you get a pin, you get an enamel pin if you beat the puzzle. You have to log on to Black Hills, go to their store, put the pin in your shopping cart, and then the coupon code is the uh the final ctf challenge yes i did it i did it yesterday i spent about five hours on saturday morning getting through about 95 percent of it and then i finished it yesterday and you can you better believe i'm gonna be sporting that pin catch me outside how about that yeah catch me outside with that pin come at me oh thanks bsec that's very um flattering um, yeah, Frank James, pivot, pivot hard into cyber. Come on in. Oh, I don't want, no, Jamie. So here's the thing. When I wrestled in high school, I think I wrestled at 125. Jamie was heavier. I think Jamie wrestled at like 171, 165 maybe. Jamie was strong too. Jamie would pick me up and fold me like a pretzel. <laughs> All right. Looks like I got I to gotta run to this meeting, y'all. You guys have been good. Thank you so very much for your time this morning. I hope you got value. Um, we'll see you at 4.30 p.m. Eastern time. I hope so. And uh, <laughs> be good, everybody. We'll see you next time. Thank you all so very much. Till next time, stay secure. I hope you enjoyed that content. Keep the cybersecurity train going by connecting with the other Simply Cyber community resources. We have the Discord server that's lively and always keeps the conversation going. You can connect with me directly on LinkedIn. And also every single weekday morning on the Simply Cyber channel, we're doing live daily cyber threat briefings, 8 a.m. Eastern time, as well as Thursday at 4.30 p.m. We're doing live stream interviews with industry experts, and we produce videos that we push out every Wednesday morning. I'm Jerry from Simply Cyber. I hope you enjoyed the content, and we'll see you in the next one. Thank you.